since this is the great festival of the presentation of the Augsburg Confession in the Lutheran Church, June 25th, I would suggest you all have an extra donut today to celebrate that great Lutheran event. So, good to have all of you here today. Let's, uh, let's begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, you give us uh, gladness and the uh, celebration each Sunday of the resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ, his victory over sin and death. And uh, we thank you for the opportunity to hear your word again today and to be blessed by the sacrament. And uh, we pray that you would bless our study of the word now, that uh, your Holy Spirit might work in our hearts, build us up in faith toward you and love toward one another. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, well, uh, we have a handout around for the uh, Feast of St. Barnabas. Uh, that was actually two weeks ago, but as usual, I didn't cover very much of it, so I thought, uh, why waste paper? We'll try it again this week. So if you don't have a copy, there are some scattered around and perhaps some back by the coffee somewhere. So There should be enough, because I think there were 50 left over, so I don't think there are. 550 here today. Uh, Barnabas, uh, the apostle. Uh, last week, or two weeks ago, we had actually uh, taken a look at those two introductory statements on page one uh, from the Augsburg Confession, also the Apology of the Augsburg Confession, just about how Lutherans handle saints. And that was a big issue at the time of the Reformation because the Catholic Church had a whole cult of the saints and all kinds of worship of saints and prayer to the saints and so on and so forth. And uh, some of the extreme Reformed people wanted to just throw all of that out and forget about all that stuff, you know. Uh, but the Lutherans uh, thought there was actually great value in remembering the saints properly. Uh, first of all, giving thanks and praise to God for his gifts to the church and uh, special leaders. Uh, and then also in their example of faith that can strengthen our faith as we look through them and see Jesus, they walk by faith in him. And then also uh, their example of good works, according to our particular station in life, whatever our vocation is, uh, we can look at examples among the saints, either the saints in the Bible or the saints throughout Christian history and, and find examples for that as well. And so the Lutherans preserved the whole idea of the celebration of saints' days and so on, properly understood. And uh, one of those is uh, uh, the Feast of St. Barnabas Apostle, who is actually not a major figure in the Bible uh, compared to Moses or Abraham or Paul or some others, but yet uh, really is uh, critical at a couple of key points in the New Testament narrative, and we'll try to look at that today. And uh, uh, when you, when, you read a, when you read a good novel, sometimes it's important to uh, watch what, what the, the minor characters are doing because a lot of times the author is conveying a lot through minor characters. And the same is actually true in the Bible. Uh, if we look at uh, minor characters or supposedly minor characters, we can see a lot in them too. As we think about the saints, of course, we also realize that in the broad sense, all Christians too are saints washed in the blood of Christ, sanctified by the Holy Spirit, and so in that sense, God's holy people uh, set apart for him. Uh, I, I, we, had, we had quit last week with the two verses in bold that are kind of just below the middle of page one, 
might just read those again real quickly. Um, why don't we read that first one together, Hebrews 12.1, great uh, verse which comes right after the great heroes of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. Let's read it together. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So great a cloud of witnesses who have gone before us, literally martyrs, those who have confessed the faith, given their lives for the faith in many cases, and that certainly is an encouragement to us in our walk of faith. And then the second passage, read it together from Hebrews 13. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. It's no accident that the verse, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever, comes right after remember your leaders because the leaders pointed us to Jesus and through them we see Jesus. And that's a central point of this passage. These apparently are leaders who have already passed away, in many cases already been martyred, and we consider how they confessed the faith right to the end of their lives and died trusting in him, and that certainly encourages us. Since I probably won't get through all of this, I'd like to go to uh, near the end first on page four, on the, I'd be, I believe it would be the back of your handout. Um, I think this is uh, significant. There are a lot of other passages about Barnabas, but uh, that Galatians 2 passage, do you see that? Uh, the second paragraph there on page 4, the last page. Galatians 2.11, but when Cephas, came, Cephas being Simon Peter, same guy, uh, Paul writes, when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men uh, came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. And of course, this was a big issue in the early church, right? Uh, can we associate with these Gentile, <laughs> these Gentiles, even though they now profess Jesus as their Savior? Um, we were supposed to stay apart from them and eat a different diet, and you know, just you know, we're separate. Uh, and do they also do they need to adopt uh, Jewish dietary rules, and do they need to be circumcised, and on and on and on? A big issue in the early church that uh, people struggled over, and Cephas, Peter, apparently struggled over that because he was eating with the Gentiles for a while, but then when some of the Judaizers showed up, he stopped eating with them because of their influence, you know, and so he was wavering in his, uh, in his profession of, the, of really the gospel, as Paul saw it. Uh, so verse 12, before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles, but when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party, those who were demanding that the Gentiles be circumcised if they were going to be saved. Uh, that's always something to watch out for, by the way, in the church. Uh, is it Christ alone? Or is it Christ, but yeah, plus something else? <laughs> See, and, and Christ alone is center of the Reformation, center of the gospel, center of the Bible. And that's what was being compromised in the church at Galatia and what Paul is concerned about. And then uh, getting back to Barnabas, verse 13, and the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas 
my friend and coworker Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though, if, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? So uh, he has to reprimand Peter and also Barnabas uh, for their shortcomings here and their, their wavering, their weakness in the profession of the faith. And that's significant to me because uh, that's the way the Bible looks at the biblical saints. We're always shown not just their strengths and their great faith and their great works, but also what? We see Peter denying Jesus, and uh, we see Barnabas here failing to adequately confess the gospel, and uh, we see the, the weaknesses of the saints as well, and uh, that's, uh, that's very comforting. It's kind of like when you when you're in church and you have young kids and you see the pastor's children acting up, you know. There's nothing more comforting than that, you know, <laughs> than, than seeing that. And so, you know, our kids comforted the rest of the congregation, I'm sure, many times in that, in that respect. So that was, that was a very comforting kind of thing. We see that in the saints, you know, some of the little shortcomings here and there. Let's go back then to the first page and uh, start from the beginning. And uh, I'll just... Uh, since I always take to, I'll just kind of be reading through the text and, and just making some comments along the way. And, uh, we'll quit after a while. Uh, chapter 4, verse 32 of Acts. Now the full number of those, this is where we first meet Barnabas. Full number of those who believed in the early church were of one heart and soul, this unity in the, in the faith and the life. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common their sharing, their possessions. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And of course, that's the key thing that they preached. Jesus died and he's alive. <laughs> and that demonstrates, obviously, the truth of the Bible, the truth of the gospel, the truth of what we're proclaiming here. And great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them. And you have to remember that this time there's no safety in it, obviously, and particularly widows and orphans are often at a loss in, in that ancient culture because they didn't have any social security or disability or anything like that. Um, and, but among the Christians, there's not a needy person. Why? For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Uh, so a lot of people are selling their property, and bringing in the proceeds, and the apostles then are able to take care of all the needy people in the congregation. Of course, we read a little bit later, Acts chapter 6, that, you know, there's always sin, right? And there's always a problem, and so Acts chapter 6, people are complaining, well, those widows are getting a better deal than those widows, you know, and, and you know, there's all this conflict that arises right away, and that's why the first deacons have to be appointed, uh, because the apostles are kind of running out of steam trying to take care of everything <laughs> that's going on in the church. And so the deacons are appointed to assist them, particularly, first of all, in caring for those needy people. Anyway, at this point, it's still working pretty well, I guess. Anyway, verse 36, then Joseph, and of course Joseph was a very common name in Judaism at that time, uh, the uh, the uh, father of Jesus, not the biological father, but the 
legal father of Jesus, Joseph and many other Josephs. Uh, Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, that's his nickname, so to speak, which means son of encouragement, son of consolation, son of encouragement. This has always been held on to by the church through the ages as the church thought about Barnabas, always Barnabas the encourager, the son of encouragement. And uh, we want to look at that, hold on to that as we look through this. He's described as being a Levite, the tribe from which the temple people, the temple servants came from. And he's a native of Cyprus because uh, Jews, of course, by this time, there had been a great diaspora at various times, and there were Jews spread out all over the world, but they held pretty strongly to their Judaism. He had been a native of Cyprus, uh, perhaps had been there at Pentecost, and was, uh, you know, was one of the ones who heard Peter's sermon and so on. We're not really told all of that. Uh, anyway, he sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet, uh, which, of course, is an act of great faith and great generosity, uh, certainly something that would be encouraging to the apostles and to the needy who benefited from that. He is definitely Barnabas, the son of encouragement. And uh, we also know had an influence on other people. In fact, in the very next chapter, we have the great story of Ananias and Sapphira. Remember them? Uh, they, they notice that a lot of other people are selling everything and bringing it into the apostles, so they sell a piece of property, but they don't quite want to give it all, you know, so they kind of keep some back for mutual funds, you know, and, uh, <laughs> and they bring in the rest, and of course the problem is really not so much what they give or don't give, the problem is that they act like they're giving everything <laughs> when they're really holding back. And of course, they drop dead on the spot. So it's always a good one to use in capital campaigns at church or things like that. You know. Actually, we don't do that. That's you know, the motivation of the law, which you know, works short term, but not long term in the church. Anyway, uh, Barnabas is certainly an example of faith and uh, just an example of, of giving and encouraging to others. Uh, and giving in the church today, whatever we give, is, is still, uh, still kind of countercultural, right? Because our culture is always saying acquire and accumulate, and there's a lot of judgment of people on the basis of their status and money and so on, even in our culture today and even in, you know, even in the church sometimes and acquire and accumulate and spend and enjoy and, you know, all of this kind of thing. And so to give, <laughs> instead of all those things, to give simply is uh, countercultural. It's against, you know, well, why would you want to do that? You know? <laughs> and so uh, Barnabas uh, is, is held up just as an example of that an example of that faith and that life, the, the works that he did. Again, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we see not just Barnabas, but we see Jesus in him. Because actually it's kind of reckless to give the whole amount, right? But he gives the whole amount in response to what? Kind of the reckless love of Jesus who gave his life at the cross. <laughs> and that's what's going on here. Well, let's, uh, let's go on. 
Uh, just focusing on that word encouraging and encouragement, uh, Romans chapter 15, let's read that together. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. One thing that happens in the scripture is that we find encouragement. Uh, encouragement in the grace of God that we hear proclaimed there. Encouragement in the examples that we have there. And then uh, let's look at the next passage also, Hebrews chapter 10. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Uh, so let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. And then I like this, not neglecting to meet together. This is in the first generation of Christianity and what's happening. People are already figuring, well, I'll attend once a month, you know, <laughs> and that'll be regular enough, you know, uh, not every Sunday. Uh, so, you know, the, the writer here urges them not, not, don't neglect to meet together, as is the habit of some, but what? Encouraging one another, and that suggests what? Just being in church being with our brothers and sisters in Christ can be an encouragement. What? Right? And they encourage us, we encourage them, sometimes even with folks that we don't even happen to talk to on a particular day, but we, you know, kind of see that they're there, or, you know, maybe they smile at us or something, or, you know, there's some kind of relationship, <laughs> some kind of encouragement. That's an encouraging thing. You know, it's encouraging to me that you showed up today for Bible class, for example, even though you knew it was going to be Barnabas again. You know, so, uh, that, that's, uh, you know, that encourages us. And particularly, all the more as you see the day, with a big D, right? <laughs> Which is the last day, the day when Jesus will return. The day drawing nigh. So uh, we, keep our, we keep our eyes focused eschatologically, to use the big theological word, uh, that you know, on the last things, the last day, Christ is coming again. Our celebration of the sacrament is focused upon that, that he is, he is coming back, and we will, we will one day uh, have the feast of the Lamb in his kingdom, which knows no end, and we're just getting a, a foretaste of that right now. So it's all the more important that we be together in fellowship and that we encourage one another in view of the day that is coming because we sometimes get focused on other days that kind of temporarily seem more important, like the day when we have to go to the doctor or the day when we have to pay our taxes or a lot of other days, you know, <laughs> that are somewhat distracting to us. And the focus here is on the day and the encouragement that we give one another as we look forward to the day and as we look forward to seeing Jesus face to face. Um, I was going to do this at tables, but I think I won't because it'll uh, take uh, too much time. And, you know, if I let you talk, I won't be able to talk. So I'll skip that. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, but I would urge you to just think about, just for a moment, uh, 
people who have perhaps been an encouragement to you in your spiritual life, whether in childhood or as a young adult or now, you know, and just think for a moment about those people and maybe how it might be parents, but it might be pastors or teachers or Sunday school teachers or, you know, neighbors, 101 other kinds of people. Just think about those people, one or two or more folks that were encouraging and how they were encouraging, even as we look here at how Barnabas is an encouragement, because that gives us a clue as well on, you know, how we might be encouraging to somebody else. <laughs> uh, we, uh, we sometimes don't even realize that, but it's true. It's important. So, yeah, just think about that for a moment. Um, going to Acts chapter 9 then, the next uh, passage. Acts 9, verse 26. Uh, um, I, may, I may mention one person who was, you know, I, I was thinking about this myself, and my parents and pastors, I had a lot, of, a lot of really encouraging people in my life, but I was thinking about a number of parishioners that I had. One guy was uh, Art Brockman, who actually lived to be 101, and uh, he's a pretty amazing guy. He played on the church softball team until he was 65, and he sang in the choir until he was uh, 95, and he only quit then because we got a new choir director who started using some new music instead of just recycling the old music, and uh, so he couldn't learn the new music fast enough, he felt, so he kind of resigned, <laughs> retired from the choir at that point, but he kind of kept going anyway, and Barb and I happened to be with him when his wife, Esther, passed away after, I don't know, I don't know how many years of marriage, 65 years or more, something like that, and uh, uh, he, uh, he said to her, uh, uh, right at the time when she was dying, I'll see you in heaven. And uh, uh, yeah, we always remember things like that. And then uh, uh, it was some time later. He was also the guy, when I first got to Evansville, he lived, he lived in a very modest home. He'd been a mail carrier, I suppose walking. You know, when mailmen actually walk, maybe that's the reason he lived to be 101, I'm not sure. But anyway, uh, he lived right next door, very modest house in kind of an older neighborhood, right next to Chato's Tavern. And uh, they made great brain sandwiches at Chato's Tavern. So Art brought me, bought me my first brain sandwich. And that's what you had to do in Evansville, eat brain sandwiches and donuts. It was, you know, it was great. You know, those were the two big things in our Evansville diet. But anyway. And he lived to be 101. So it's like all those guys that they interview who lived to be past 100. You know, they always drink whiskey and, you know, all that kind of thing. But anyway, that was Art Brockman. And uh, when, he, when he passed away himself, he uh, apparently was feeling sick. So he called his daughter-in-law. His son had passed away years before, actually. He had only one son. He called his daughter-in-law. She came and picked him up. She came up to, uh, to the door. He walked out with her. He opened her door, the driver's side. She got in the car. They drove to the hospital, and he died. So <laughs> that was art going on to glory. And it was just kind of encouraging to me because he was not a big vocal leader in the congregation, but boy, Art was there and Art was singing and Art was uh, receiving the gifts of God and in so many ways. He was an example and just things like that uh, are encouraging to, to all of us in ways that we don't even think about sometimes. So Acts chapter 9, verse 26. And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples and they were all afraid of him for they did not believe that he was a disciple, <laughs> which we can kind of imagine, right? Having 
heard the reading today and the sermon today, Saul breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples and hauling people off to jail and even getting them killed in some instances, probably. Uh, so they're a little bit skeptical. <laughs> He's shown up and <laughs> says, okay, I'm a disciple of Jesus. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Maybe you are. What happens at this critical time? But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord, who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of the Lord. So what happens? Barnabas says he's okay, so he must be okay, right? <laughs> and Barnabas is like this at a number of critical points in, uh, in the gospel, in the book of Acts here, uh, kind of uh, connecting people and a trustworthy man, full of the grace of God, full of the Holy Spirit, full of faith, uh, full of consolation and encouragement, despite the fact that he can also waver, as we've already, as we've already seen here. Uh, very, very uh, important kind of thing. Uh, so, uh, by the way, uh, I had a number of calls uh, elsewhere when I was down at St. Paul's in Evansville. I had some calls to go other places, and uh, later on in my ministry, I heard somebody say that uh, when you get a call and you're talking to the call committee and the church council usually and elders and so on, uh, don't just talk to them, uh, but ask them for the name of somebody in the church or some couple in the church or whatever who, uh, who really kind of have the respect for the whole congregation so that if something were going really, really wrong in the congregation, that would be the person or persons who could step up and stop it. And so... Uh, in my later years, I had some calls where I asked that question of the church council and the call committee, and I said, you know, who would that be in your congregation? And they would tell me, and a lot of, usually it was not somebody on the church council <laughs> or on the call committee. It was usually somebody else, often somebody who didn't even hold an office. And so I would say, that's who I want to talk to. <laughs> and uh, I would talk to them, I would learn a whole lot about the congregation, and uh, I would, uh, and, and they were usually also strong examples, obviously, of, of faith and the grace of God to have that, that kind of respect to the congregation. And they were the people who talked to in the congregation. So anyway, that's just popped into my mind. Uh, so anyway, Acts chapter 11. Um, now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. At first they only went to the synagogues and talked to the Jews. But there were some of them, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists. And here that would appear to mean Greek-speaking Gentiles, possibly those who were already attracted to the Jewish faith, but maybe not. Um, it, it can be used in a variety of ways in the New Testament. Anyway, they speak to Gentiles, which was a radical thing at first, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they're not sure what to make of this. And they sent Barnabas to Antioch, because he's the trustworthy guy, the encourager. And when he came and saw the grace of God at work in these people, he was glad, and he exhorted them, exhorted them, encouraged them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. And then I like the description of Barnabas, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. Well, how do you get that way, full of the Holy Spirit and faith? 
by receiving God's gifts, right? <laughs> receiving the word, receiving the sacrament. He was full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, which Saul had gone back home to Tarsus temporarily here. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch, and for a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Notice how Barnabas, you don't get a lot of direct quotes from Barnabas like you do from Paul, but he is influential, he is connecting, he is encouraging, he is building up the church in a variety of ways. Um, and notice here they're first called Christian because at the beginning they were called what? Followers of the way uh, at first. And now they're first called Christians, uh, little Christs or people who follow Christ. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. Uh, and this is characteristic of the early church, always a concern for the poor and the needy, always. And the church is always uh, to be concerned about mercy toward those in need, uh, still today as well. Uh, if we don't do that, we're not truly living out our life as God's people. And they did so sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas. The tr we, can, we can trust him with what? We can even trust him with the money, right? <laughs> and he won't go somewhere else with it or something. So he's the one who is sent to uh, help out the needy and no doubt to encourage them as well back in Judea. And then Acts uh, chapter 13, I'll just go a little bit longer. Um, now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Menean, a member of the court of Herod, the Tetrarch, which is interesting because it, it shows that the gospel is penetrating even where? To the corridors of power, right? This guy's in the court of Herod, and he's a believer, apparently. And Saul, who was who later called Paul. It's interesting, the transformation of the name didn't occur right away. He's still called Saul for a while here. Uh, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they arrived at Salamis in Cyprus, the island of Cyprus, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. Uh, so, Jesus said, go and make disciples, and Paul and, or Saul and Barnabas are ready to go uh, wherever they are sent, uh, apostles, those who are sent forth. And they had John to assist them. That actually becomes significant. Who is John? It is John Mark, same guy, okay? Uh, they had John to assist them. Now, Paul and his companions... Uh, set sail, I'm skipping a few verses, but Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos in Cyprus and came to Perga in Pamphylia, Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, and John left them. And we're not told why. He just left. For some reason, he said, bye, I'm out of here. Okay. <laughs> and he returned to Jerusalem. Okay. Keep that in mind as we just go a little bit further. Acts 14 
Now at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Gentiles believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time. <laughs> I like this. People have poisoned the, uh, poisoned the minds of others against Paul and Barnabas. So what did they do? They stayed. They, they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. Especially in that first generation, there are a lot of signs and wonders before the New Testament has even come into being, so that uh, the first people who encounter the gospel can see that this is the continuation of the work of Jesus. Okay? Uh, and uh, some of the signs and wonders that are done by the apostles are actually very similar to the signs done by Jesus himself. And uh, that work is done uh, also in the early church. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Jew Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, then they decided to leave. <laughs> you know, sometimes Christians are stoned, but they don't just hang around to get stoned, you know. Uh, it's not marijuana, by the way. So, uh, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derby, cities of Lycaonia and to the surrounding country. And there they did what? They continued to preach the gospel. They're persecuted but not discouraged. They continue preaching the gospel. And then I like the next one, which gives us another insight into uh, the life of uh, Barnabas and the kind of person he was. Now at Lister, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet, and he sprang up and began walking. Uh, uh, Paul could see his faith, perhaps in his intense listening. We're not told exactly, but he springs up, he begins walking. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lycaonian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus, because occasionally the gods, of course, did come down to earth in the Greek pantheon, according to the Greek myths, and they showed up and messed around and did stuff. Um, and so they think Barnabas is Zeus, uh, who is the chief, that's interesting, they, they think Barnabas is Zeus, he's what, the chief god in the Greek pantheon, so that's how they look upon Barnabas. And Paul Hermes, or Mercury, uh, and he was the talker, he was the messenger, so Paul apparently is doing more of the talking, but they kind of recognize in Barnabas something powerful in him, too. Uh, because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance of the city, and this was a place of worship of both Zeus and Hermes. We've even found, archaeologists have found sites of this. He brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice to, to Paul and Barnabas, Zeus and Hermes, with the crowds. But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of it, and, and notice he's Paul here, uh, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We are also men of like nature with you. Uh, not saints to be worshipped or gods to be worshipped, but men like, of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways, yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons 
satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. He kind of starts with uh, Article 1, creation, in, in talking to them, uh, because even the Gentiles, the pagans, can see or ought to be able to see that there is what? A God. <laughs> and so he starts with that. Even with these words, they scarcely restrain the people from offering sacrifice to them. And then uh, following up verse, or chapter 19, but Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing he was dead. So he's severely wounded, very severely wounded. But when the disciples gathered about him, which apparently was encouraging and healing, he rose up <laughs> and entered the city. Uh, what the fellowship can do for you, right? And on the next day, he went with Barnabas to Derbe. And when they had preached the gospel to that city, and made many disciples. They returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith. It's not just leading people to faith through the power of the word, but what? Encouraging them to continue in the faith. And do we all need that encouragement? Yeah. We're getting beat up every day by the devil and the world and our own flesh, and we need encouragement <laughs> that comes from God, but sometimes comes from God through the fellowship of, of believers. Uh, and then I like that next line in saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God, uh, through many tribulations. And then uh, chapter 15, but Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, that's why I wanted to mention Mark a while ago, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Paul always tried to do this. He didn't just preach and forget them. He always went back to those places where he had preached before. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. And we know from Colossians 4 that John Mark was actually the cousin of Barnabas. Uh, sometimes the word cousin is used kind of loosely in the New Testament, but probably a biological cousin. Uh, so they had some kind of family relationship, and Barnabas wanted to take Mark, John Mark, with them again on this follow-up missionary journey. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia. He'd been a deserter. You know, we don't need that on the mission field. <laughs> So we're not going to take him. And, and, you know, he had not gone on with them in the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement well, between Paul and Barnabas, right? Uh, they're both important leaders in the church by this point. But do they agree? No. In fact, there is a sharp disagreement between them. So they separated from each other. This is, by the way, how the Missouri Senate has always done church growth. Right? <laughs> I, I was at St. Paul's in Evansville. St. Paul's was founded by a group of Lutheran laymen who came from Trinity, which is only about one mile west, kind of in the same old neighborhood. But it seemed like a long way, 150 years ago, I guess. And so they walked a, a mile and said, well, we'll put a church here. And the pastor at Trinity was uh, upset by that, and he refused to baptize or help in any way. So they had, had to go to an Ohio Senate guy 
<laughs> to get the baptisms done and so on. Uh, but they had a new church, and both churches had a flourishing ministry uh, after that. And so you had two churches proclaiming the word of God instead of one, you know, and that's actually what happened here, right? Barnabas goes one way with Mark, and Paul chooses Silas, and they go another direction, so you kind of double the gospel, you know. <laughs> there they go. And God, God kind of works even through all the shenanigans of people, and we're not even told who was right or who was wrong. We're not told whether Barnabas was kind of right or Paul was kind of right. It doesn't, doesn't really matter at this point. They both went out and preached the gospel. And was it significant, by the way, that Barnabas still wanted to include Mark? Does that prove to be significant? Well, yeah. One of the gospels that we have today comes from the pen of Mark. Same guy, right? <laughs> so he becomes really critical in the life of the church, and Barnabas has a hand here in keeping Mark on board, even though he had been perhaps wavering or a deserter a little bit earlier. So anyway, fascinating thing. Um, then uh, there's a little hymn that uh, comes from our hymnal him 518. It's that long, long hymn where there are separate verses for the different saints, and you can use the particular verse for that particular saint on that particular day. I think we've done that a few times here since I've been here at Advent. Uh, it's a great, great hymn. Uh, and uh, perhaps we could just read it. I can't lead you in singing, but perhaps we could read it together now, um, starting with uh, verse 1 there. By all your saints in warfare... For all your saints at rest, your holy name, O Jesus, forevermore be blessed. For you have won the battle that they might wear the crown, and now they shine in glory, reflected from your throne. For Barnabas, we praise you, who kept your law of love, and leaving earthly treasures, sought riches from above. O Christ, our Lord and Savior, let gifts of grace descend that your true consolation may through the world extend. Then let us praise the Father and worship God the Son and sing to God the Spirit, eternal three in one, till all the ransom number fall down before the throne, ascribing power and glory and praise to God alone. And I'll offer the prayer. Mighty God, your faithful servant Barnabas sought not his own renown, but gave generously of his life and substance for the encouragement of the apostles in their ministry. Grant that we may follow his example in lives given to charity and the proclamation of the gospel through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Thanks for coming. It was encouraging. Have a good week. <laughs>